All right, here we go. Episode 21, Rap City Podcast. Uh, we are doing this on Tuesday, April 28th. Uh, it'll drop sometime on the 29th or 30th. Uh, Kitch will join shortly. Uh, unfortunately, Deno not available this week, but we have uh, a great replacement for uh, Deno, even though some may think he's not replaceable, like both of my uh, male children, although I disagree uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, Eric Smith is the man this week. Eric Smith of Sportsnet uh, raps play by play man on the radio, pre and post game, sideline report, pretty much does it all for the raps. Uh, so Eric's a great addition to the group. He gives us some great insight into how he got started uh, on this journey that took him uh, from you know the early days of the raps all the way through to their championship and uh, current state. Uh, Eric helps us understand a little bit more about uh, the state of the nation with the raps. Uh, where the NBA is at, what the odds are of the uh, NBA coming back, even get some insight or answer some fan questions around what the Raptors are, are up to. Uh, we also bring Eric into the discussion on the uh, Jordan documentary, whether or not he's a Jordan or LeBron guy. Uh, we And then we drag him into our some of our other uh, recurring segments on what drives you crazy, uh, as well as what would Eric Smith be able to do in the world of sports today uh, in, in its current state. Uh, and in his current state. So uh, Eric has some insight into that, and he is much more along the lines of Kitch's fantasy world as far as uh, being able to perform at the highest level uh, in the sporting world. So uh, you you will enjoy that. So uh, from that, and I'll admit this is an extra long podcast, however, it's so long uh, with so much content that we may actually break it into two parts, but this will definitely be part one. So hopefully you will enjoy that and uh, we'll be back with another pod uh, in the not too distant future. So uh, here we go. Oh, but first I should, I should let you guys know big, uh, big ups. Uh, Steve Martin of uh, the Hollywood fame has reached out to the pod and he's been loving our rants uh, at the beginning of the segment, uh, at the beginning of the uh, show. So he actually reached out on Twitter and asked if we would include one of his all time famous rants. Uh, via uh, one of the all-time great movies that he was in. So, uh, Steve, we're happy to oblige. So, uh, here you go, Steve. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. May I see your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? You're fucked. Kitch! Bart! Big day for us. We've got our second esteemed guest for the pod, uh, a young Eric Smith of the uh, Toronto, or actually of Sportsnet, we should say, not the Raptors of Sportsnet. Uh, so this is a big day for us. Catch you, uh, you excited to bring in uh, Mr. Smith? Uh, day 41 of the new norm. I'm excited to bring in anybody. Anybody. <laughs> anybody after after RG. I don't know if that's what we were looking for. But anyways, uh, Eric, welcome to the pod. Good to be here, fellas. What a, what a fantastic buildup that was. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know, we're not usually we kick things off with Deno trivia, but because uh, Deno's not here today, we're going to uh, we're going to save that to the end. We're going to embed it into the show. So we'll uh, we'll warm you up and then we'll get you right into the Deno trivia at the end. So that's yeah, great, I'm really familiar with that segment. So I was looking forward <laughs> to it. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah, it's a really good idea. Now, we're never going to start a show with Deno trivia ever again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Eric, listen, this is uh, this is exciting for us. As you know, we had uh, Mr. Armstrong on the show a few weeks ago, and uh, he was our first guest, but that is not to take away, away anything. We are as equally excited to have you here, and we are ready to dive in. Are you ready? 
I'm ready to go. I, I feel like you guys might have been the jinx that shut down the NBA or something. You guys talked to Jack, and two days <laughs> yeah, later, yeah. all yeah, hell well, broke loose. That's what it, we, three days after we got back from uh, the Raps road trip, it was ARG after Rudy Gobert. That was it. But we're going to talk about your experience with that whole thing too. So that'll be, uh, I'm sure the the fans will be interested in that. But let's start with how did it all begin for you? How did you become uh, part of the Sportsnet family? Where did it start? How did you, uh, did you know this is always what you want to do? So I knew at a fairly young age, or at least I thought I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Because I, I think like a lot of young sports fans, um, it became evident fairly early on that, okay, as much as I may be decent at some sports, I'm certainly not anywhere near good enough to be a professional athlete. So what's the next best thing? Watching sports, talking about sports. You come in sort of after the raps cut their teeth a little bit, right? They go through the sort of the uh, the early stages of a, of a new uh, new franchise. But then you walk into Vince Carter era. Yeah. Like what, what was that like being on the city, you know, as, as a young guy too. So obviously lots going on in the city, like that must've been, that's been something to be a part of from the, from the get go. I remember it just, that's when I think Raptors basketball really, really started to take off or get a foothold. People were like, Oh, this is real. We can get real stars here. And now you're, you're there as like, right. You know, front row seat or whatever. night. I mean, that must've been pretty exciting. Yeah. Like in a, in a very short amount of time, I could, I could kind of go back into my limited, you know, archives. I still has a fairly young guy and say, it was just a few short years ago that I was sitting in the stands at Skydome for the draft and I was booing Damon yeah. Stoudemire chanting for Ed O'Bannon. I was one of those people and clearly I was <laughs> yeah. a thousand percent wrong as Damon turned out to be a hell of a player and whatever happened to Ed O'Bannon. But I was one of those people because I, I was a hoop head. As much as I loved baseball as a kid, there were as many Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan posters on my wall as there were Wayne Gretzky posters or Fred McGriff was my guy with the Jays. Like I was basketball. Hey. I, I was born in 75 and I, I was hooked on the Showtime Lakers and Magic Johnson. So for a, a strange Canadian kid that never played hockey, I played road hockey nearly every damn year of my life or every damn day of my life, excuse me, but I never played organized hockey. So I'm this weird Canadian that just as much as I liked hockey and loved Wayne Gretzky, I didn't have the hockey in my blood. It was baseball and it was basketball. So for me now in 99 to see a guy and, and, and let alone the next few years to see a guy like, like Vince Carter come in and just burst onto the scene with this still new franchise that just a few years earlier, again, I was in the stands for the draft and I was covering as a part-timer or as an intern in the, you know, at Skydome with people out in right field, like a thousand miles away, trying to watch the game on the court at Skydome uh, and, and, you know, seeing Jordan and the bulls come to town and, and, you know, seeing, seeing guys like, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the, at the height of his, you know, game, like a, a Glenn Rice and an Anthony Mason coming to town with the Charlotte Hornets and, and all that stuff. To see them now coming into a brand new building, Air Canada Center, with this young superstar, budding superstar, high flyer in Vince Carter on a brand new you know, broadcast on the radio station that I'm now a part of. I can remember the first preseason game, or I think it was the first one. If not, it was one of the first two um, against the Boston Celtics. And Swirsky and Armstrong calling, and I'm sitting in the studio and listening to Chuck go bananas with Vince flying through the air and all his crazy dunks. And 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 yeah, Chuck could do that. Chuck oh, a little bit. Yeah, he could look like it was. It was. It was amazing to see what Vince was because it wasn't. It, it certainly wasn't something we had seen in Toronto in the limited time, but it wasn't something that the league had seen in a while as well. Because you know we're talking about the sort of the the the. I don't want to say the later stages, but I guess it's fair to say the later stages of MJ where he certainly wasn't the high flyer that he was early in his career. And I don't think we had seen that athleticism from anybody in quite some time in terms of an in-game dunker. Forget about dunk contests. An in-game dunker that could just throw it down on anybody and everybody at any given time. And Vince, I think, just captivated so many from broadcasters, let alone fans, right from the get-go. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you talk about the in-game dunker. That's actually a good little um, segue. That is such a lost art. They talk about the mid-range jumper being a lost art. The in-game dunker, guy, those guys just aren't around anymore. And you go back and now, when you're watching the, the Jordan doc and, and you see his highlight reels. But yeah, Vince was that guy too. When you look back at his highlight reel, he was he took it on anybody, obviously, right? I mean, that, and so yeah, so he puts us on the map. And then, you know, we had that great, I don't know, was it probably a good three or four year stretch with him the Philly series, but then obviously it falls off a bit of a cliff, right? So uh, what was the, what was the transition like to be sort of on top of the basketball world? And certainly we, uh, the Raptors gained that foothold in Canada, but I think it after the Vince uh, debacle, when he leaves, like, I think the Raptors lose that foothold a little bit, right? There's a, there's a downtrodden, that place isn't selling out all the time. 
Uh, and it's sort of like, okay, what's going to happen here again? So what was like, what was that like to go through that for sort of the highs and lows? Yeah, that, I mean, it, it was it was tough to say the least, it, and, and because to, as you said, to go from that high to then all of a sudden just to be kicked in the teeth with 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 where the team went after that, and I and I say with with well, I say no disrespect, but I mean the man the man has since passed, and it's it's awful what what un, you know eventually happened with the health for Rob, Rob Babcock, uh, you know, passing away still relatively recently, uh, but with no disrespect, God rest his soul. It's the worst trade in NBA history, and if it's not the worst, it's among the top three to five. Uh, what the Raptors got back for Vince Carter, and, and you know, to this day, I still think that there's some gray area when it comes down to did he actually demand a trade? Did he not demand a trade? And did he did he actually come to Sam Mitchell and say that he, you know, even if he did say he wanted to be traded, he was now willing to come off the bench if that's what it took, and actually wanted to stay in Toronto. No matter what the actual story is, fact remains, it was a terrible deal. And I know that some will say, well, the, the, the hands were tied a little bit because anytime a, a player you know, demands a trade or publicly says he wants out, that, that diminishes his value, et cetera, et cetera. You still have to get back more than what the Raptors got back in, in Aaron Williams and Eric Williams and a couple of draft picks that turned into Villanueva and Joey Graham. Um, that's, that, to me, is what set the franchise back. Even if you were to use, you know, decades later, the, the, the Kawhi DeRozan uh, trade as an example, Clearly, the Raptors got the better player based on Kawhi, how he turned out to be, and the Raptors winning the championship. But DeMar DeRozan is and was and still is a potential all-star player that the San Antonio Spurs have. It's not Eric Williams and Aaron Williams. So that, to me, is what really hurt Toronto, um, losing Vince and not getting anything in return. And then now you've hit the rebuild and you've hit the restart button and and, and you go through a couple of years of the the stress and the struggle. And then you get Chris Bosh, but he doesn't make the playoffs for the first couple of years. And then you start going, you bring in a Jose Calderon. Then the next year after Calderon, you bring in Garbajosa, Anthony Parker. Now, finally, you get back to the playoffs, but the Raptors never seem to be able to build upon that momentum. It was two straight years in the playoffs, bounced in the first round. And now trying to rebuild again, trying to see if Bargnani was going to turn into anything, trying to figure out the right combination of players, trying to build around DeRozan. And it took five more years. So you kind of had this, I think it was four years after Vince, then five years after the two years making it. So to make the postseason twice in 11 seasons before finally the DeRozan-Lowry combination busted through, it was a grind, man. And I'll tell you from just a, a broadcast perspective, it was a grind doing like post game shows and taking calls. For sure, absolutely. Fans that were like, because you're getting the hardcores that just want this team to be good. And I will say, to go back to your point, Bart, like if we look back, if we look back post Vince, the place wasn't selling out. But I would argue that 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 post that that you know those back to back years of making the playoffs. I think that was 06, 07, and 07, 08. They still sold out a bunch of games, and if they weren't selling out, they were still drawing really well because there was still reason to believe. The the, the year after, I think it was 0-9-10, um, the Raptors like had a real real hiccup, and I think they 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 were something like thirty three and forty nine or something, if I'm not mistaken, and they they took a major step back. But the year after that, it was um, I think it was I think it was forty and forty two that year where they narrowly missed the playoffs, and you had Bosch still, and you had a young DeRozan. There was reason for optimism, even people that that bought into, and I think rightfully so, bought into Turkaloo was going to turn into something good, which ultimately didn't happen. So uh, people were kind of still buying into what the Raptors were doing, and kind of hoping that that one year out was just a blip on the radar. So people were still coming out and still supporting, and that I think was what made it tougher, is because. This team should have been better or could have been better, and they weren't. And that's when I think a lot of the angst truly started. I think the people that that before were realizing, yeah, we're not really good right now. And yeah, it's going to take some time to recover from the Vince trade. So there was almost an acceptance of that. But that acceptance after a few years was sort of like, okay, enough. We, we went to the playoffs now. We should be good, and we should be better, and we want to be better. And that's now where it's like, hey, we're supporting this. So now it's like, now there's really some animosity because it's like, hey, I'm really investing my time and my money now. We're trying to build on something. So come on, I want to see a little bang for my buck here. I want to see a return on my investment. Well, so, but to that point, I think we still struggled a lot with the fact that we couldn't keep anybody, right? We talk about, we lose Vince, we lose T-Mac, right? For nothing. We lose Bosch kind of for nothing, right? And we have this, I think we had this stigma of, yeah, we can get stars here if we draft them and get really, really lucky, but they're not staying. And that, that can, and that's what, I think that's what DeRozan and Lowry have changed. Uh, and that started long remember before. Morning, remember Alonzo? We had Alonzo in that in that Bosch deal. And he didn't he didn't even show up. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there were still guys that were doing that, right? I mean, I can remember Barkley on air. Uh, this is early TNT days when he was talking about the Raptors. He's like, hey, man, someone's going to tell these uh, NBA players that the dollar is a buck 35. They know that. They'll go there if they can make an exit. You know, like that's what. I mean, we're talking about the guys covering the league have no idea what Canada really is or even all about. So it was, it was a long time to fight that stigma of Canada. And I think that's what DeRozan uh, should be applauded for and thank that he resigned and would have, I think, would have aptly resigned again uh, had we kept him. But yeah, so you go through that struggle of the fans are just getting pissed because, you know, we got these guys, we should be good, and then it's just not happening. But over that time, the core of the fa- the, fa- the fan base is building. Right, it's definitely happening, um, and so then you get that. Now you get to this sort of last six or seven years, and if anything, we've got a pissed off fan base. But that's because we're only getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? So that's a totally different environment to be in than the we get. So, so why you why you finish off by telling us a little bit more about the last part of this this journey for you with the Raptors, right? Because obviously the last five years have been uh, have been you know a wild ride, culminating with last year. So maybe take us through that little you know, right up to the to the championship. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm just going to go back quickly for one thing because it's something I've, you know, I've talked about a bunch and, and you guys can weigh in because, again, I'm coming at it from a from a from a broadcaster standpoint. I never totally understood. And I mean, I shouldn't say I didn't understand. I did understand, but I didn't agree with the the angst or the um, uh, the 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 frustration or the, the mentality that, well, nobody will 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 stay here. I think it, and maybe I'm splitting hairs here. I think it was nobody will come here. And there's some truth to that because there was never that marquee splash free agent. There were free agents, but there wasn't a marquee splash. But the thing that bothered me with the, and you just mentioned it, T-Mac existed in a time when the NBA had a ridiculous, ridiculous rule where rookie contracts were only three years. Three years, yeah. You you draft a high school kid who's now a free agent at 21 years old and I mean, he had the lure of, much like Kawhi decades later, of going home. He had a chance to go back to Florida and play for the Orlando Magic. You know, like he pretty much verbally committed to the Chicago Bulls and threw it a first pitch at a Cubs game and then spurred them as well and decided to sign with with Orlando. Um, I I think at at 21, 22 years old, if you give me the opportunity to be a free agent and to go home, I'm going to take that that chance too. Chris Bosh, well, before Bosh, Vince Carter was here for three quarters of a decade. Chris Bosh was here for three quarters of a decade. Both re-signed contracts. Now, how much do they play a part in the team not ultimately being good enough and thus them wanting to get out? Yeah, they play a major part in that because they were the cornerstone guys. They were the franchise players. So they have to carry a brunt of that and a bulk of that. Uh, you know, Bosh, to me especially, a guy that was here for, for seven years and, and only made the postseason twice. But they did resign. They did stay. And if I'm going to commit myself as a professional athlete to six, seven years with one franchise and only get to the playoffs once or twice or three times, only get to the second round once for Vince Carter, let alone never for Chris Bosh, I think I'm probably going to go, yeah, you know what? I don't care if it's in Canada. I don't care if it's the money. I don't care if it's the dollar, the taxes, whatever. I just want to leave because I want to go win. I want to. I want a chance to win somewhere else. And I think that's maybe what has helped a DeMar DeRozan who, yes, ultimately signed his extension, but then upon signing that extension also found himself in the midst of a team now that's making the playoffs and a Kyle Lowry who comes to Toronto and finds himself a couple of years in making the playoffs, building upon a consistent winner, having a tandem alongside DeRozan, having this one-two punch, having more talent built around them and now seeing the the fruits of their labor to then sign another deal, to stay around longer and to see now way, where we are at building this over the last five, six seasons. And that's to me the difference in trying to compare the whether it be the T-Mac, the Vince, the Bosch, or the DeMar slash Lowry era is there was actually consistent winning, more talent overall, and consistent postseason appearances, which those guys earlier didn't necessarily have. So I'm not trying to let them off the hook completely. I just think that winning, I always say winning cures all. Uh, and now you look at this team and, hey, is Toronto going to land a marquee free agent in this offseason? whatever this offseason is, if there even yeah. is an offseason. Uh, who knows? They lost one in Kawhi, but I think that was a unique circumstance um, with, again, a chance for him to go home, much like John Tavares on the hockey side. All the people that in Toronto that hated the fact that Kawhi left, they forget the fact that you stole one away on the hockey side from New York, and you were thrilled that Tavares came to Toronto and left the Islanders, but then you were pissed off that Kawhi left for Southern California. Well, you can't play it both ways. You know, It's, it's the way it works. Um, so I think Toronto has now established themselves not only as a winning team, 
a winning culture, a winning fan base and environment. But I think there's a ton of respect for the front office, for what Masai Ujiri uh, for sure. yeah. alongside Bobby Webster. Uh, now, of course, from transitioning from Dwayne Casey to now Nick Nurse. Um, you know, everything. I, I don't know if you could sit here and find a true negative about Toronto, unless it's a 25-year-old negative that, oh, it happens to be the only market in the NBA that's outside of the U.S. Because otherwise, from coaching to training staff to management to the fan base to the building to the practice facility to the travel to you name it, everything has been done first class. And I think that's now the reputation that the Raptors have around the league. Well, listen, it should be. If it isn't, if there's still any stigmas out there, they should be they should be washed away because I agree with you. That we, we have proven ourselves now to be a you know a first rate uh, organization, which is probably why most uh, organizations are looking to take Messiah if they can get their hands on him, right? So that's a that's a big part of the culture. Totally agree with you. It will be interesting. I mean, I don't to be honest, I don't even want any free agents from this class in this next year, but where we have all our where we're gonna have all our cap space. Uh, I think is in two years from now, and I and I've said this before on the pod. I really do think if Giannis is at, even remotely considering leaving Milwaukee, which I'm not saying he is, and I don't even think he is. I think he'll resign there. But if he is remote, I think he'll give Toronto a look. I really, really believe that. So, uh, but that's what we need. We we'll find out the next time we actually land a free agent if if they're uh, a real you know sort of a, a marquee one. But I I believe we're in that discussion now with with uh, with those types of players if and when they come up. You know, I, I think, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think the tough thing for Toronto is going to be, and, 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 you know, I certainly would have said this and have said this before even, you know, the, this lockdown and, and the worldwide global pandemic. There's a couple of things at play. How much money do you have still left after, you, you know, you've got Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet as free agents at the end of this season, whenever this season is officially over and whenever that off season finally comes. I would imagine you're re-signing two of the three, or at least trying to re-sign two of the three. Um, you got to kind of hope that you can get one of the bigs, and I think it's an absolute certainty that you have to bring back Fred Van Vliet because then that plays into you have one more year of Kyle Lowry, and at the end of that contract, I think Lowry's place in history, he has earned the right to be offered a new contract if he would like to continue on in Toronto. Even if that were ultimately to be as a backup to Fred Van Vliet or as a backcourt tandem, whatever it may be, I think he's earned the right to at least be considered still in the Raptors' future plans. But when you start factoring the finances of all this, okay, you want to bring back Van Vliet. Let's just, for argument's sake, say you want you you want to and you do bring back Serge Ibaka. Then is Lowry coming off the books or is Lowry being re-signed? What about the contract status of other guys? Of course, then the big money for uh, Siakam has kicked in at that point. How much money is there going to be for a Giannis or anybody else? But then also further to that, to use what we're going through right now, how much is... COVID-19 and the shutdown of the league and potentially the shutdown of a season going to impact whatever the number is when it comes down to the cap a couple of years from now. And how much will that then impact free agents that say, all right, you know what? I was already going to lose. Let's again, just to use as the example, Giannis, I was considering maybe leaving a whack of dough on the table in Milwaukee to come to Toronto or to come to the Lakers or to come to whomever. But now I'm actually leaving even more money on the table because I've lost tens of millions of dollars based on the cap number coming down. Yep. So I might have, and again, I'm just throwing out a random number. I could have made 220 with the Bucks. Now I can only make 180 with the Bucks. But if I leave to go to Toronto or LA or New York, I'm only going to make 155. So now you're really leaving a boatload of cash on the table based on the amount of money that's currently being lost by all these teams and thus by all the players. So I think that could have an impact come you know, next summer when this conversation perhaps is is even more interesting. Yeah, so I agree. The economics are going to factor into this at some stage here again for these guys for sure. So that and that's what I'm saying. But if he says, "Hey, you know what? I'm willing to give up 30 million potentially to sign somewhere else," I just think we get that look. Now, everything you just said, again, this personal personal thoughts on this one. If you're going to resign any of those guys that you, the, the Gasols, if, except for Freddie, Freddie's going to get his money. Um, I think the Gasols, the Abacas, and the Lowrys have to be team friendly deals. Right, because you cannot take yourself out of any future free agency, and we can't cripple ourselves with that, you know, that older, uh, you know, t- stars, if you will. That you know, how many more, how many more years do they have it? Like, it's unfortunate but this year because I think they really were going to give it a run. Now, if the NBA comes back, which we'll talk about in a minute, then actually I think we're kind of well positioned because we're going to be healthy, and we'll, and we'll see how that goes. But you know, two years from now, do we want Serge Gasol and Lowry being you know the, our starters? And you know, I. 
I don't know. So the, those guys come back. It's got to be team friendly deals, uh, and we'll you know we'll see. We'll take our chances with with getting uh, you know whatever free agents are available. Out there. Well, and, and I think that would would probably be at the top of mind for for Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri as they they try and navigate and orchestrate through this. Because I agree, if 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 the whole league, Toronto included, is eyeing the big players that are available uh, come next year, come next summer. Then absolutely, they know they know better than obviously the three of us that there needs to be that financial flexibility still. So I, I think they have to they have to tread carefully. They have to navigate through this, um, and I think they will. Um, I don't disagree with you. You know, and that's why I think that if it's not going to be uh, a friendly deal for them, they'll walk away. They they won't go for it. In in my opinion, but at the same time, you're also in this window where um, you still got to stay not just competitive. You got to stay good. Because I don't think you can afford to have take a take a major step back from being not not only the defending champs, but even when you even when you didn't win the championship the la, you know a couple of years ago or even this season, who knows what would have happened in Toronto? Would they have made the conference finals? Could they have made the, the the championship? Might they have had a chance to defend their title? And again, could still happen if we actually have a season. Um, but either way, you're in that conversation of the top five, top seven teams in the league. You need to stay in that conversation. You need to be a team that's still in the Absolutely. top 10 conversation. You need to be relevant to players, to agents around the league. And if you kind of strip the cupboard bare a little bit for a couple of seasons or for one season even and, and kind of say, well, we're going to we're gonna go forward with with the, the you know, uh, Van Vliet, Siakam, and Powell. It still might be a very good team, might be a playoff team, but are you are you as good as you'd be if you you know, if you had kept other guys as well, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's, oh, yeah. it's an no, it, interesting time. Cause, cause the other thing that factors into all this too is, um, and, and management will deal with this, not for me to say as a broadcaster, but at some point you got to figure out the extension for Nick nurse. Uh, and at some point, obviously there needs to be an extension from ownership, uh, from Masai Ujiri as well. You addressed it earlier that a lot of teams in the league that have been circling, you know, the, the shark circling on, on Ujiri. Well, you know, your, your top executive and your coach, are both going to need deals too, which helps solidify your uh, stability in the eyes of players and agents around the league. So that needs to be done too. And so there, there, there's a lot at play for Toronto right now. There's certainly a, no reason to be pessimistic about it. But again, you 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 have a lot of stuff, I think, f- from a Raptors perspective to 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 kind of get in order as you move forward over the next uh, season or two. Yeah, good, and it's a good problem to have. Like these, yeah, are, these are these are good problems to have for sure. Absolutely. When you, as as Bart said, Kitch, you're right. Is that when you're good. People want you. They want your players. They want your coaches, and they want your management. There's a lot of chatter right now. Uh, some rumblings about Adrian Griffin uh, maybe being wooed to the Chicago Bulls as they've already restructured and rebuilt their their front office. Now, might they decide to make a move in the head coaching ranks, and could they come pluck a former Bull in Adrian Griffin, which would take away Toronto's top assistant from Nick Nurse? So it, it kind of affects all levels. I mean, even trainers get looked at. Let alone, as I say, management coaches and players. It's it's across the board. Where when you're good, there's a lot of eyeballs on you, and people want what you have. All right. Well, we we've touched on it, so let's uh, let's get into it. Hey, where where are you on the season continuing? Um, I'll, I'll be. I'll tell you straight up. I know as much as you guys do right now because nobody from the team is either a saying anything or b truly knows either. And I think that's honestly that's the most honest answer anybody can give right now. Nobody knows. I don't know that our government knows. You know, until uh, and, and not to not to divert too much here. But I got to think just on a as a as a as a friend to you guys as a as a husband as a father as a human. I don't know what the hell's happening right now, and until such time as there's a vaccine, I don't know when is it safe for us to do this podcast in person. When is it safe for us to 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 go to a store, to go to a restaurant, to to gather amongst eighteen twenty thousand people in an arena and and watch a sporting event? I don't know if anybody knows the answer to that right now. So I mean, I you know we're not even supposed to be leaving our homes or, or venturing out unless we absolutely have to. So. How can we talk about a season? So just my perspective, my own opinion, based on no inside knowledge from the Raptors or from the NBA, I feel like the safest thing to, 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 to do and the, to me, the, the best bet is to say that this season is done. Uh, because if we're not even letting our kids go to school until the end of May at the earliest, and I'm all but positive that the school year shot, we're not going back to school till at least the fall. How are we saying that we're going to be playing a basketball game or to have some semblance of the end of the season? And then what does it look like? Is the regular season over and we're right into the playoffs? Are we still trying to finish the rest of the season? Are we doing some sort of goofy NCAA type tournament where everybody's now in? Uh, I just think that this season we can put it in the books like the 94 strike year in baseball. 
there was no champion in 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 nineteen in twenty nineteen twenty twenty. And are we at a place come October November where it is safe to return, even if it's just the athletes returning with no fans? Are we safe enough to return at that point where we have given ourselves a solid six months of complete distancing, where now we can say with more certainty with the experts uh, from you know, not just the politicians, but obviously the health experts weighing in that now it is the safe bet to go. I don't know if we're at that point in four, six weeks from now where we say in June, yeah, okay, here we go. Yep. Camp in July. Let's go August 1st. I just, I don't I see it. It's funny. I I, I, well, listen, we have, uh, we have ongoing spreadsheet bets on this podcast between the three of us. And uh, right now, and I was, I was, I'm with you. I still believe that there's not going to be no more NBA this year. However, there seems to be uh momentum for this concept of getting, a certain number of teams that are going to qualify for the playoffs in various locations. And I think they're talking about two. I've heard Orlando and I've heard Vegas and I've heard LA. So I've heard three NLA's potential spots where you're going to bring in eight, 10, 12 teams. Uh, they're going to, they're going to build some sort of venue to allow, you know, multiple games and they're going to just hunker down and be in a bubble. This whole bubble concept of just putting in with families and whatnot, and they're going to be testing through the route like every day, every week, whatever it may be. And they're going to somehow play a, 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 another five, six games to get ready. And then they're going to go into the playoffs. But I, to me, that just doesn't sound feasible. I don't know how it works. I don't know what they've even thought about with respect to if a player then gets COVID at some stage. You know, are we going to go through this, this after Rudy Gobert thing again? So, but that seems to be gaining momentum. Kitch is Kitch can't wait for this, seeing as he's on the other side of that spreadsheet bet. July first, July first, the latest. We're starting again. Wow, that's that's back. quick, man. You think this so, is July first? Yeah, no fan, no fans. We see, we don't have fans for a long time in for sports, but uh, I my I'm I'm on November first in that, but I'm 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 told that's uh, that's still too early. But the uh, but yeah, the I, uh, I think that's early too. But yeah, go ahead. But the uh, but the the games. I think I think the commissioners of of hockey and basketball are doing everything they possibly can to make something happen out there. Just and they're 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 working all the angles, and and I think you'll see some sort of abbreviated process to this come come july listen kitch i don't i don't disagree with you that they're dying right now and, and looking for any reason to, to to get back on the floor on the ice on the field etc i i agree i mean you you're you're a financial guy <laughs> like you know the numbers better than i do at the the tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars that are being lost with every day every week that goes by for these 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 pro sports leagues i just there's a couple of things and i'm it's not it's it's certainly not anything that you guys haven't already thought of the only way that this possibly could happen in these remote locations or, or you know, in hotels, whatnot, is if every single person from players to coaches to trainers to camera people that are working the games to broadcast it, because even if there's nobody in the stands, which there won't be, you still need at least four, if not six or eight camera people. And there's not going to be any broadcasters, I would imagine, in the buildings. It'll be broadcasters from studios. Like if, if you know, I was in a, a booth in Toronto calling the game off a television monitor that's provided by, you know, a feed from the NBA. And that's how I'm calling the game on the radio with Jonesy. And maybe Matt and Jack or Matt and Leo are calling the broadcast again from the same feed. Oh yeah, You're, you're not going to Vegas. 100%. But my point is, you still need at least those four to six to eight camera people. Plus then the 15 guys on each team, plus the coaching staffs. You're going to need some sort of a scores, uh, scores table and, and stats crew that's there. Um, plus then you've got your three officials. I got to figure let's just for argument's sake, say there's 75 people in the building. But when you go back to the hotel, if you tell every single person on those respective teams, including the uh, officials and the camera people, you are not allowed to even go outside for a walk. You can't leave the hotel. This is full on lockdown. It's damn near prison. There will be security guards at every single door. So now there's also security folks we got to factor in. You can't leave the hotel because we can't risk any potential infection. You're not even allowed to walk around the block because I don't want you touching a park bench that maybe somebody coughed on five hours earlier and the virus is still active and now you've brought in the hotel. So you literally can't leave the hotel. We're going from hotel to the arena, back to the hotel, that's it. Every single meal, no takeout. It's catered lunch, catered dinner, catered uh, breakfast in the hotel banquet rooms from the staff that's now in the hotel. And thus, that staff has to be quarantined and locked in for the entire time too. Front desk, maid service, uh, banquet staff, cooks, clean all those people. Anybody in that hotel has to know 
that they're signing on the dotted line to not see their family or their friends for anywhere from four to six to 12 weeks. Because you could be bounced in the first round and only be in that hotel for seven to 10 days, or you could go through to the finals and like the Raptors last year, you know, finish on June 13th and the playoffs start on April 15th. You could be in that hotel for two months away from your family, away from your kids, away from anybody else. So you're telling that exact same staff in the hotel, hey, this is your job and, and, and maybe they need to be given bonuses and more money, but you will not be allowed out of this hotel for potentially as long as two full months. Do you want to do that? That's the only way that this works because you cannot have some maid or some front desk person have him or her go home and you know they've read the riot act to their spouse, to their significant other, to their kid, and, and they know the rules, but little Johnny decides to go and play with his son while dad's at work or while mom's at work and brings the virus in and then it's brought into the hotel. So any person that's in that hotel has to be on full-on lockdown or this idea, this concept does not work at all. Sign yep. me up. I'm in. Sign me up. All right. You're, you're, you're not I'm, working. I'm in for a change. I'm in for a change. <laughs> Wait, Kitch, they said they, they're bringing their families with them. Oh, you let, yeah. They bring their yeah, family. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, and I know you and I, or the three of us, I should say, we talked about this just on a, on a personal level uh, last week when we were, when we were all chatting. Um, I still have this, and I don't know if it's fair to say a conspiracy theory. It's not really conspiracy. I just have this feeling that this pandemic as awful as it is for, for everybody globally, it may, may, I underscore may, play into the NBA's favor in terms of them um, resetting their schedule going forward. I mean, I'm talking for the rest of time because there has been some, some speculation and some rumblings over the last 6 to 12 to 18 months that there are some in, in the NBA that would like to see the start of the season changed where now instead of tipping off on, let's generally say, mid-October or Halloween, now the beginning of the season is either Christmas Day with that being the focal point instead of just the Christmas Day games being six, eight weeks into the season, but the Christmas Day game is now NBA tip-off, here we come, or even potentially waiting another week and saying January 1st, boom, that's when we start. And now your season doesn't really go head-to-head against the NFL other than for a couple of weeks of the playoffs. It's not going head-to-head against the NCAA football other than maybe for a week or two as well. You do have to compete against uh, NCAA basketball still for three months. But then come summertime, you now start to battle Major League Baseball, which is which pretty much has a monopoly at this point as the only game in town for the summer months. That won't be much of a battle. Well, and then you have your, your season going from, let's say, Christmas Day through to, uh, it'll probably August, be early August. June. Your season now ends yeah, in early August June, late May. Yep. You play your playoffs in August, September. Your off season now is, you know, September, October, November, and we're back at it with training camp come December, with the season starting December twenty fifth. And that, I think there's a, a a lot of reason to to think that that's actually from a business perspective uh, a prudent approach for for the NBA. And maybe that's why they ultimately say, all right, 2019-2020 season is done. We're putting it on hold until like November, if not later, and we're coming back with camps in December and we're going to start this thing on Christmas Day. Well, he, just a theory. So as much as I agree with your theory and your your very good dissertation on what it would take to get those games played in a uh, neutral site with everyone under quarantine, and which is the reason why I'm going to win my spreadsheet bet, uh, I've also heard the other side of it is that they're, well, two things. They want to jam, they got to get to 70 games because then they get their full TV money. So that's one reason why they want to get 70 games and somehow this year. Uh, and then they also want to jam this in for the exact same reason that you said. They want to go from July to like early September right now so they can reset everything because that will then give them an off season and they kick, they start 2021 20, uh, in December and away they go. Because they're never, if they start a season at any point in December, they're never going back to the old way because that would then they'd create a gap of some stage that they're just never, ever going to do. So like I, so I see it both sides. I agree. If they don't play, if they don't play the season now uh, and it's just done, I agree. They could easily make the argument of COVID. We're not ready. We're going to wait till December and that's it. So I think we are staring at December 25th being the start of the NBA season moving forward and Kitsch, you just lost your summers. You lost your spreadsheet bet and you're like, so you've depressed Kitsch now, right? So he hates the idea of the NBA being uh, through the summer. Why don't you like it, Kish? I like the break. I like the I like I I watch break. I don't watch much I don't watch much much baseball. So by the time by the time the Masters are kind of done every year, which which is early April, 
and and you got basketball coming in the playoffs. By the time the playoffs of basketball are done, I like that July and August of not feeling the need to watch any sports. I don't want to watch any sports. I feel like I like just going outside and hanging outside. I, I can't see myself sitting around my pool in the summer and then saying, I oh, nope, I got to get in the car now oh. on a great day and I got to drive to Toronto to watch a Raptors game. When I'm just comfortable sitting sitting outside. Like I I I, I search for things to do in November. So when basketball's on, I like that. I, I would miss not having basketball in November. Do you ever do you ever play the shit back and listen to yourself? Because <laughs> you really, really should. <laughs> that was that was the worst argument ever for not well, having I, basketball in the summer. It's, it's the world around Kitsch. The world yeah, around Kitsch. No, I like my That's summer right. in the backyard. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Yeah, I can't imagine that's what the brain trust of the NBA uh, offices are thinking about. <laughs> so, all right, listen, that's a, that's a very interesting perspective. I think I'm with E. We are 100%. Listen, we got it all going on today. We agree on everything. And I didn't play hockey as a kid either growing up. Yeah. I was tennis, tennis and basketball. That's what I both you guys, both you guys have bunkers. I know both you guys have bunkers in the backyard. Well, uh, yeah, actually, watch- I, I forgot to even mention, I, 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 I don't know. If- um, one of you or me is glitching or something for a second. So you guys kept pausing here. So hopefully you can still hear me. All right. But I actually played one year on the high school tennis team too. So that, that, I, I don't know. I don't know if that says much for me, but going back to the high school, you know, the, the glory day roots or whatever, you and I have to get on a court at some point, even though I whoa, whoa, barely whoa, played the game for damn near 10, if not 15 years, but, <laughs> but that's another poke eye story. <laughs> Listen, this is it. I, don't, I only have two sisters. Maybe I found my brother, my long lost brother. I found him. Uh, but you did a little tennis call. You, you've called some tennis matches up at uh, at the York Tennis yeah. Stadium. Yeah, I've been doing that for five years now, and unfortunately, it won't be happening this summer because that's already been called off. But uh, uh, so hopefully, that's something to look forward to uh, to next summer. But yeah, I, you know, doing the tennis for Rogers Cup on the on the women's side, so bouncing back and forth between Toronto and Montreal over the last five years, and I've been lucky enough to do some baseball broadcasting uh, over the years as well and uh, did men's boxing in the 2012 Olympics. Love that, yeah. uh, so that, that was another thing. So it's been a lot of, a lot of fun stuff, but it's all been kind of surrounded and rooted in the uh, hoops for and Raptors 22, 22, 23 seasons now. So it's been, it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, now you listen, we talked about this uh, last week a little bit, and I know that you and Kitch can't watch uh, the Jordan doc live because you live in a, in a weird country, but uh, I take it you're caught up. You're, have you watched all four episodes? I, I I am caught up. Yes, I am. Uh, now it's a stupid question, because I'm gonna, but obviously Jordan, LeBron, you're going to answer Jordan. Yes, no doubt, okay. no brainer. That's what that yes. is. No, it is. It is I, a no brainer. We can keep him on. Say, we we can keep him on now. Uh, I will tell you this. Wait, are you saying LeBron? No, no, no. no, no. He said he'd keep him on. We can keep we'll, you on. We'll keep, we'll keep you on. We'll, we'll keep, keep going. going. We keep going. It's 100 Jordan. But I will say, right before I talk to you, I talked to my best friend, and him and I, you know, we've been buddies since like grade five, grade six, and we're both massive Magic Johnson fans. And I asked him if he's watched, like, huge Magic Johnson fan. And I asked him if he's watched the documentary yet. And he said, I'll eventually get around to it, but I don't need to watch, I don't need to watch it right away. And I said, honestly, like, his name's Justin, but I call him Juice. I said, Juice, you have to, you have to watch this thing. He goes, well, listen, you know, I, I know what happened, but talk to me when he actually played in the 80s and actually had some real competition. He didn't have to beat, like, the Utah Jazz and the Seattle Supersonics in the finals, you know? Like, if he had to actually go up against somebody, you know, quality, like having to knock off the, the you know, the storied Celtics franchises like the, the Lakers. So he goes, listen, there's no doubt. Michael Jordan's the second best player ever. Magic Johnson, number one. And then, you know, as long as everybody acknowledges that, then I'll watch the documentary. So, <laughs> so you might need to get him on because he'll still tell you that MJ's Jordan, that is, better than LeBron, but he'll say that Jordan's number two. You can let uh, you can let Juice know he'll never be a guest on the podcast. <laughs> break it to break it to him easy. Break it to him easy. Um, but is it like after reliving all this now again? Because I used to, I mean I used to shut it down to watch Jordan. I was saying this. I'd shut it down to watch a, a Jordan uh, game. I would move my whole life around to watch it because that's I just even though I grew up like and I, and I was a huge Pistons fan growing up because uh, I lived in Windsor. But like I'm in reliving this document or this documentary with him. God, it, I have more respect for the guy now. Even though he's going to come out, and I've I've heard this a lot, he comes off as a bigger asshole in, in the in the next few uh, episodes. But I mean, look at the way he brought himself into that league and, and what he did. He just sort of took it over from from the jump. And like when you watch his highlights and the stuff he was doing, I get it. I hear the argument about the level of competition, that sort of stuff. You put Jordan in any era, it doesn't matter. Um, but what it so far, four episodes in, what's your what are your initial thoughts? Um. 
Well, you just touched on one of my thoughts, and that is that if you put Jordan in today's game, uh, it, it's crazy to think how much better he'd even be uh, compared to what he was. Because you watch those series, especially those playoff series against the Pistons and the Jordan rules, and they destroyed him. Like they were beyond physical. What they were getting away with back then, I mean, you breathe on a guy in today's NBA and it's a technical foul. Uh, these midair collisions and literally punching guys and, and 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 tackling them and throwing them into the basket stanchion from behind. I mean, we're talking dirty, dirty ball uh, in in major portions of the '80s and '90s. And and for Jordan on top of that, like it's it's it'd be bad enough if you were doing that to Horace Grant or to Craig Hodges or or Steve Kerr. You're doing it to Michael Jordan, and the refs are looking away half the time. You do that to LeBron James right now, you probably oh. facing a 25 game suspension. So um, that's to me what stands out more than anything. And, and I liked that in this in the last ones that we saw in episodes three and four, the acknowledgement where, where he finally had that sort of the light went on where it was, okay, I need to lean on other guys. I need to trust Jim Pax and I need to tr- trust Steve Kerr and eventually, obviously, to trust a Craig Hodges because that's where when we think about the, the, the titles for, for Jordan, as great as he was, there are so many guys not named Jordan and not named Pippen that are... Um, I don't know if it's fair to say equally responsible, but certainly helped and played major roles in winning those titles, much like we talk about a, a Robert Ory or a Rick Fox or some of these guys that have played significant roles at Derek Fisher in some of the other dynasty franchises and dynasty victories. And I, I like the fact that we got to see MJ know that all right, it took someone saying it for that light to go on and for him to ultimately have that trust to realize that he couldn't do it all himself all the time. And I also appreciate the fact that we see the sort of behind the scenes where he he let Dennis Rodman be Dennis Rodman. It wasn't trying to to be frustrated or or pissed off every day with the antics. It was, hey man, we're all different. Let him do his thing. Let him be who he is. If he doesn't want to practice, if he wants to ride the bike, if he shows up late, if he needs a midseason vacation, whatever, just make sure you're ready to bring it for 48 minutes. And if you do your job then, I'm not going to bust your chops any other time. Well, I think the Vegas thing maybe threw him off a little bit, probably because he wanted to be there more than than Rodman wanted to be there. But yeah, (laughs) but it was like that. I mean, that. It's now it, it speaks to the genius of Phil Jackson to a certain extent. Probably Jordan's maturity as well. That's seven years in the league, but but Jackson got him to a place that you talked about, right? Where he could just understand that you know it just you got to be you got to let the other guys be part of this, otherwise it's not going to work. Like I love that part in the in game. I think it was game four of the uh, Lakers series, the first uh, the first title run, where he or maybe it's game five, um, where he is like, who is open? And he's screaming at Jordan. Who is open? You just see Jordan sitting there going, I don't want to fucking answer this, but he's like, all right, Paxson. I know Paxson's open, right? And then there's just that highlight reel of like four Paxson shots yeah. throw at Jordan. Like, so it, it needed something like that. But I mean, Jordan was never going to be denied ultimately, but obviously Jackson came through uh, and it really shows, I think, in this documentary. I mean, obviously right coach, right time for the for the right player. But I've just been... And I'm super impressed with just the how it's been presented so far. And again, from everything I read about it, like we're really going to start getting into the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, in the next sort of five, six episodes. So I think it's only going to get a thousand times better. Like I, I'm just glued to the TV on Sunday nights, not Monday mornings. Like you well, know. I mean, depending <laughs> depending how late you stay up, you can still get it on yeah. Sunday night slash Monday morning. But yeah, three uh, a.m. Yeah, three no, a.m. And so on. No, it's, 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 hey, what else are you doing at this point? You're not well, you're not waking up for, for work or anything, or at least uh, a lot so of people on, on so, that. Yeah, uh, as we were talking about earlier, and we actually did a dry run with it earlier. We've got uh, a segment that we usually have a Deno trivia. Uh, Deno Deno's live triviaing me right oh, now. Let's skip the trivia. Let's skip the trivia. No, we're gonna go quickly. This is right, we got right. one. This is the tiebreaker. Okay, tiebreaker. This is, this is the tiebreaker. Uh, well, are you going to tell the story of what happened earlier? Because hold on a second, it shouldn't even be tiebreaker. I got three out of four right. The only one I, well, the only one I blew was Mark Price, but the other ones I, I got bang on. Kitch is down. What what is this tiebreaker? I have no. I have, no it's like it's like the last point. Winner takes all. Winner takes all in the last point. It's like that. That's true. That's, that's that word. It's like the triple jeopardy. Um, but you should be thankful that no one. What happened before is that we thought we were taping. We weren't taping. We did the dinner trivia section, and we we had all these. Um, one of the questions was, who is the only uh, person to ever score fifty against a Jordan uh, led team? Uh, Kitch came up with a reasonable answer of Malone, uh, and then E, after probably seven minutes of of humming and hawing to himself, came up with the uh, one and only answer of Mark Price. So I well. So here's the thing: you decide to take your guest, who's been generous enough to come on your podcast. Oh, easy now. Careful, and, and you, careful. Bust, bust balls for one, 
but then you fail to realize that the other three questions, one, I got 100% bang on and still got correct based on your rules, the other two. So, so instead of saying I, I scored 75% on your test and got three out of four correct, you, you choose the one I got wrong instead of going at your, wow. your cohort here, your co-host, who was so terribly off on, on three of the four questions. E, e. Like, fact, how, how long? Really being honest. E, how long have you known Bart? How long have you known Bart? Like, <laughs> why does this come as a shock to you? <laughs> well, it's listen. Everyday life. Mark Price, a five foot four white guard, the NBA, and the he put up fifty. He put up more than fifty on. Come on now, let's think about. Let's just think that one through. That was not a best guess. Maybe but I got you off guard. Something other than Carl Malone. I told you that was my first answer. You're belaboring well, this point listen. too much. Three out of four. Well, you know what? It wasn't even on. It, it was going to be no annals of that guess until you guys brought it up. So, anyways, here it is. Yep. There is one player. Uh, in the modern era, so not like the '60s, '70s Lakers. Uh, so there's one player. This is this is an easy one. So we're going to have to go to that one. Who has more rings than Jordan? One player. E. I mean, if you get it right, you win. It doesn't even go to doesn't even go to Kitch. I'm pretty sure I just said his name a couple of seconds ago, didn't I? Isn't it Robert Ory? That's it. You win. That's a winner. Ooh. That's a winner. I would not have got that one. You wouldn't have got that. Nope. Oh no! Nope. Well, see, there you go. We should let Kitch go first. We've just said Alone. <laughs> All right. Kitch, you can send me send me a bottle of Camus uh, for my uh, for my winning. Camus Robinson. We're Robinson's only. Robinson. No, that's only a Jack's place. Yeah. Robinson's are all Jack's place. He's got three cases. All right, uh, we have listen two other segments for you, Ian. We're letting you get out of here. We're not we're done. Gonna, no, we're going to be quick. We have to make. You got to do the fun part. You do the fun part. So recently, we've introduced a segment of like in your current incarnation as a as a forty five year old man. We're going to throw you in a in a sporting environment, and you have to tell us what you think you'd be capable of doing. Okay, so here we go. You are the quarterback of an NFL franchise. All right, you're playing all 16 games. You are throwing on, you're throwing 30 passes, 480 passes in the year. How many passes today would you complete for positive yards? Okay, you you cut out for a second there. Maybe it was on my end, but you're saying I'm a quarterback, 16 games. Give me the scenario again. I apologize only because it cut out for a second. Quarterback, 16 games, 30 throws a game, 480 throws in a season. How many would you complete? For positive yardage. <laughs> um, the, all you said was positive yards. So positive I, yardage. It could be a one yard pass. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Listen, man, I'm I'm like a spider monkey. I'm I'm five foot nine, 150 pounds, soaking Doug wet. Flutie. Doug Flutie. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm Doug Flutie. I, I I like to think that as long as as long as my my line has has got my back covered even slightly, so I'm not getting just destroyed on on the blind side. I like to think that I could scramble around a little bit and just to save my life. Uh, I'm going to say that I would complete 20%. Oh, that's pretty good. I like that. I like that. He's in my camp. Oh, I like that. I got it. Kitch. Like now that. we are no longer brothers. 20%. Yeah. He's in my zone. That's my 96 zone. passes. You think you would complete 96 passes yes. for positive yardage? Yes, because I'll tell you why. I'm going to say 80. I was going to say I'm going to go. I'm going to go early 90s K gun style like the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to play it out of the shotgun. I'm going to rely on my running backs for little dump off passes and they're going to give me my positive yards because they're going to die forward for two or three. That's a positive. That's a, that's a positive passing yardage. So I'm not worried about throwing it 10 yards, eight yards, 50 yards, 20 yards, whatever, little dump offs, little dump offs here and there. And then I'm going to turn around and run for my life. So I'm just going to rely on my Thurman Thomas. I'm going to rely on my guys just to give me that yardage. Yeah, you All get right. that. You well, get the, you get the snap, and you do a little pitch to the to the running back comes inside, yep, and that yep. that's that's good for thirty for the season at least. Now, right. That said, there's no chance I'm playing all sixteen games because either in game one or game two or even the first warm-ups minute or warm up, I'm going to just destroyed by somebody, and I won't even make it to the second quarter. No, of the you don't have to worry about that. That's the thing you have to worry about. You will not so get I'm hurt. Not getting, well, listen, if I'm not getting injured, then that means I'm taking these hits. And I'm still getting up, and I'm playing the entire season. So based on that, now I might actually think I'm going higher than twenty. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, got a boy. So, okay, boy. let's let's suspend. We're going to keep continue to suspend reality here. And I guess you guys are assuming there's no defense. Like you have to understand, the other teams are trying to stop you, right? They are trying to stop you. We have what is it, sixty-five guys on rosters today, and they've proven that fifty of them cannot play the position at all. There are quarterbacks right now that cannot complete 50% of their passes in the NFL. And yet you at 45 and catch you at, we haven't got to your answer yet. So I'm just reminding, I remind, they may catch on that your only play is that dump pass, right? They might, they might figure that part out. So you got to, I'm assuming you got to throw the pass line. All right. E, last question for you on this one. How far do you think you could throw a football right now? If you had to, if you had to sling it, 
You mean in the NFL or if we're just out hacking around and we're in the NFL and obviously the NFL, not with a Nerf ball. No, but I'm saying like, to, hold on. There's, there's, there are flaws in your question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> NFL football, but are we talking like I'm just standing on the field and we're throwing it. Or are you talking yeah, about complete a pass in a game against the defender? Or, I'm or, saying, I'm saying you're at the combine, you're doing a six step drop. You got to, you got to sling it as far as you can. Uh, I would say no less than 25, 30 yards. Okay, that's reasonable. I believe I believe you could throw it 25 yards. I believe you could do it. I don't believe you could ever complete a, complete a pass at 25 yards, but I believe you could throw one in perfect conditions. Yes. All right. Now, Kitch, 480 passes. Where are you? What percentage? Uh, I think we're 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 not throwing many passes more than five yards. So we're really running a short a short game. So I'm thinking 80. I can do 80. Whoa. 80 of 480. Oh, 80, oh, no, 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 80, 80 of 480. So it's a, that's what's it fifteen percent? Yeah, around right there. Yeah, probably sixteen, seventeen. percent I still think that's ridiculously. Again, now he, I, I always say I can't throw the football fifty yards. Oh, right now fifty. Bullshit. Yep. Yep. No. Yep. <laughs> For sure. And NFL football. Yeah. NFL football, not a CFL football. NFL. Are either one of you on Twitter or Instagram? Twitter. Yeah, the, the podcast on Twitter. Yeah, right. He, of course. We so follow that, you. You don't follow us? Oh, of course I do. It's my number one follow. <laughs> Jesus. I want, I want, this is what I want. I mean, you guys already did take care of me, but I want, this is my request for you. Cause I thought we were doing like 20 minutes, not an hour and 20. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want, I want video evidence of Chris Kitchen throwing a football 50 yards and post it on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. happened this, this summer. summer. This summer. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll be six yards away and that's probably where I'll catch it. That's fine. But that's no problem. We'll social distance that football. But yeah, I listen, I'm telling you, so yeah, I always talk at Kitchen Dental as like, I know for sure in that group, I'm the best athlete of the, of the three of them. Uh, now, I'm not saying I am in this group, but I'm going to assume that I'm probably still near the top. Uh, I'm telling you right now, if I'm throwing the ball 480 times for completed uh, with positive yard, at most 30. At most 30. Oh, hold on. You said at, oh, wait, 30, again, you're talking 30. 30 passes, 30 completions. So what's that? That's like uh, 10% uh, 48. Yeah, I'm like at 7, 7%. You, you, yes, you're a terrible Listen, athlete. No, my God. Hold you, on, understand? you got these guys coming at you. You have, you literally have three seconds to get rid of the ball. Less than two completions a game. That's right. No, you're That's way right. off. No, I guarantee not. you, I'm able to dump that thing off five times a game. Yeah. Just out of fear. I, just like you throw it up. You like just throw it. And, and well, I, I do. Like I, I generally live in a world where the sun comes up every day. I'm playing out of the shotgun. I'm playing out of the there. shotgun. Boom, I get the ball before they're even on me. I've already gotten rid of it. Oh, oh yeah. No. yeah. Before they're even on me, just it's out of your hands. Yeah, no, listen. Okay, well, all right. Things were going well with us until this. All right. Uh, listen, last time, Ian, I warned you about it. We always do. We, and uh, because of the uh, the professionalism we keep, we're going to drive the, what drives you effing crazy. Do you have, so we do a segment of just like, we talk about things that doesn't have to be sports related, it can be anything. If you've got something during this COVID uh, time, something that, you know, during, your Twitter, you have a lot of interaction on Twitter. Some of it, you know, it's you guys, you know, come at you and you got to fight back. Like it can be anything you want. So if you've got something for, do you want, do you want me to lead it off? And you, so you, you can get in the group. I mean, listen, I could have done an entire podcast on this because I, I complain about things constantly. <laughs> well, I have, I do follow you on Twitter. Um, yeah. So mine this week is, it's all Jordan related. So what's driving me a little bit crazy is the heat that my boy Isaiah is taking. Okay, because I I loved Isaiah Grant. I grew up in Windsor. I was a big bad boys guy. I went to both parades. Great time. Felt very safe in Detroit during those parades, I might add. Uh, and he is like Grant, he's changed his story a bunch of times about the walk-off and it was stupid and all that sort of stuff. But he's a thousand percent right on this one. He like he shouldn't have done it. He, no, but his his rationale of fucking uh those idiots in Boston who totally dissed him. Bird hated him. He didn't come over. He didn't come to the locker room after. But the big part that people are forgetting, after game three, when they are up 3-0 and they're clearly going to win the series, the Bulls, okay? Jordan's at one of his post-game press conferences and he talks about how these guys are assholes and he uses the words, they are undeserving champions. Well, guess what? If someone just told me I was an undeserving champion after winning it back-to-back, uh, I'm not going to shake your hand after. I'd be like, yeah. This is so... Isaiah's just been, he's been ripped all over any social media platform. And the it's just been pretty bad. That is just, Go back, do your research on that one before. I love Jordan, but go back to, he's wrong about this one. Pistons were not as offside as everyone thinks they were. Jordan was as much a dick to them as they were to him. So there you go. That's mine. That's my second. All right. All right. Kitch, you're, you're going to take us home. You're going to take us home on this one. Kitch. All right. So I, I go out for a walk or run during the last few days. People... 
people will not even wave or say hi. You go, you go walking by somebody, they will look down or look away as if like eye contact spreads the virus. We're all in this together. If you go outside for a walk, don't be afraid to wave, say hi, smile to the person that you pass. Might brighten their day a little bit too. It's not, you don't have to socially not even look at somebody. Drives me crazy. I actually don't mind that one. I'm shocked it's coming from you, but I, I don't yeah, mind that. So am I. Like I said, Kitch, you just go back kids. and listen. Just go back War and listen to yourself. Kids. I like it. I like it. All right, uh, take us home. Well, I, again, as I said, I could probably come up with a whack of them if you gave me some time here to to, to really you know rail on you know because but here's the thing: have you, have you had like the standard you know like oh I don't like people who drive slow in the fast lane like I, I you know I don't want to I don't want to go down that one. I, I did use that one. But it doesn't like that, that one is. What what really bothers me right now, and and here we go. You actually said we were going to get to it, and we didn't. So I can kind of very quickly tell the story in my rant here. After coming back from Utah, and the final game against the Jazz, oh, yeah, and finding out that I might have been a uh, first of all exposed to the virus, patient zero. You could have been patient zero. Yeah. And then finding out because of the fact that I was around the players and on an airplane and in a building with 20,000 people, et cetera, et cetera, I was, as was, you know, Matt, Jack, uh, you know, Jonesy, Sherm, all the players, all the coaching staff, et cetera. We were deemed, and this was public health's term, we were deemed potential super spreaders. So to be a potential super spreader, to then find out that you have to be tested, to go through the testing at a hospital in Toronto, to then sit at home and wonder if you've got this virus to then ultimately find out that you don't have the virus, but there's a five to 15 day incubation period. So you still might have the virus to then spend two full weeks in pure isolation in my home with my wife and child leaving food for me at the door, knocking on the door, walking away. I open the door, I grab my food, I close the door for 14 days. Not that doesn't, that doesn't sound horrible. Well, <laughs> I can, I can probably, but keep going. It was actually probably better for my wife even, but but I'm sure that I was in like a 10 by 10 bedroom for 14 days fully and did not leave that room and was going for runs in the bathroom, running on the spot, jogging on the spot, doing like 10,000 steps a day, running on my little memory foam mat in the bathroom just to get some (laughs) some exercise to do all of that to then come out. And now I've been out for what, three, four weeks now. We're about six weeks into this to be out and to see the morons that are still walking around as if nothing's wrong, that they're, they're out on the street. To your point, Kitch, yeah, there are some people that are running and putting their heads down, but there are others that are congregating, hanging out, having a drink together. Kids are playing in the street. People are showing up at public parks. You, you hear the stories of folks going to stores that are just not respecting the distancing and the six feet. The folks that are complaining that they 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 don't think this is real, they 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 need life to return, whatever else. What really pisses me off and bothers me is the fact that I did my part, and I don't want to sit here like I'm some sort of martyr by any means because that's not the case. But I did my part. I stayed in isolation for 14 days for my health, for my family's health, for my neighborhood's health, for your health, for anybody listening right now. I did my part. So you know what? Do your part because otherwise, all of your um, immaturity and all of your uh, ridiculousness right now as it relates to this virus and as it relates to this lockdown, it's a slap in my face for the efforts I put in to keep myself safe and to keep you safe. So if you can't do your part, then that's what's driving me effing crazy right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, listen. Yes. I like that. Well, well, well done. Yeah, that was <laughs> very good. That very may even, that may supersede Jack as the, uh, as the best, what drives you effing crazy. That was, pre- that yeah, was pretty, I, yeah. you know what? You really were paying attention during those English classes. That was really well said. Well done. Well, Jack's was the use of cell phone. Cause <laughs> oh, wow. technology that drives technology you. Was Jack. Yeah. Technology killed him. Well, well I, I, I could have told you the story of how I've helped Jack set up his iPhone when he first finally got one. And, and, and anytime he has a problem with his phone on the road, he's, yeah, do you have, do you have a minute for a second? Can you come over here and uh, just show me? So when I, when I want to open up a text and, and when I, and when I need to attach a picture, uh, and, and how do I do that? And so, yeah, Jack's, Jack's, uh, he's the best, he's the best of the best, but he, he, when it comes <laughs> to technology, I guarantee not only does he not have, well, first of all, he doesn't know how to download a movie. I'm sure which means he must only watch movies on DVD. Uh, but even if he has DVD, either that DVD player or potentially the VCR that he still has is flashing 12. 
it's still midnight flashing twelve on what, whatever whatever he has because yeah, well, he doesn't could, set the clock. This could be a new this could be a new segment. Pick on Jack segment. I like that. I have no problems with that. Better yeah. than pick on Kitch segment. Uh, it, 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 story about Jack Armstrong marrying me. He married my wife and I. And that's like a legit 100% true story. What? Like, Jesus. I told you earlier hey, in this podcast. Hey, hey, I, save I, that for the next visit. We, we are, you are, we, I don't like to keep my guests this long because I feel like I'm, I'm disrupting their, their life. You You're, this is now disrupting. I got to go. <laughs> hey, you're coming back, so we're going to save that one. But but you do have to. I have, we do have actually a listener uh, question for you. Oh. Can you give us any insight? And then and then we got to go. Then we got to go. Can you give us any insight as to what the Raptors players might be up to? Are they in Toronto? Are they uh, any any? Do we have any intel as to where Raptors are? What they're doing? What they might be doing? Anything uh, like that? All, if not most. Well, or should I say, most, if not all, are are back home at their respective homes uh, in the U.S. Okay. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not positive if Abaka is still in Toronto. I think he might be, uh, but but I know for a fact, like like Lowry, Van Vliet, Norm Powell, uh, um, you know, list goes on. They're all back in their respective homes. In fact, I, I know uh, from I talked to Van Vliet and Powell on conference calls with some other uh, broadcasters and reporters over the course of the last seven to ten days. Uh, Freddie was talking about the the setup that he has at his house with the kind of a, a gym home gym set up in his garage. He's got a hoop in the driveway, so if you happen to be uh, you know in Illinois near Rockford, you might see Fred Van Vliet hooping in his driveway or working out in his garage or something. And he actually said that he has private private access to a, a a private gym where he's actually being able to go lift some weights as well with nobody else around. And Norm Powell said that the team sent him a hoop and a basket and he had to get it set up in his driveway and put the pole up and all that stuff and whatever else because he didn't have one at his house. Uh, so he's like, if again, if you're down in San Diego, you're driving along the neighborhood, there's Norm Powell out in the driveway getting up shots. And I think that's the case for a lot of guys because many of the players, especially the single guys, they live in condos, so they don't have access to a gym. They might be working out, they might be running, they might be getting out, staying you know, in terms of their cardio, but they haven't shot a ball in X amount of weeks because they don't have access to it. But even guys that have houses and, and some sort of property and some sort of yardage, they don't think to put up a you know some cheap hoop in their driveway or something. So a lot of these guys have, have literally needed the, the team or their agent. I remember hearing uh, Bernie Lee, who's the agent for Jimmy Butler. Uh, he's a Canadian guy, but he represents Butler. And he was saying on Twitter, I think, that he sent a hoop and a basket stanchion and, and all the, the gear and set up to Jimmy Butler as well. So I think that's kind of the case for a lot of players around the league right now is just trying to find makeshift ways of, of kind of staying active and, and making sure that they can stay on top of their game a little bit. God, I, hadn't even, I haven't thought about the single NBA player, what this must be like. <laughs> There's got to be a lot of things they haven't shot lately. <laughs> you really had to go there, right? At, right at the end. Well. Yeah, right to the end. We lost, right we'll, to edit, we'll edit that out. We'll tell, edit. Your, tell your black guy to edit that. We'll edit I, didn't, that. I didn't come on your smut. All right, listen, E, cannot yeah. thank you enough uh, for making the time to uh, to do this with us. We will definitely have you back, uh, hopefully when we there is actual live basketball taking place. Uh, but again, we it, this was uh, this was great, very insightful. And uh, yeah, thank you. All right, appreciate fellas. Thanks, Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, All right. Kawhi, take, it home. take us home. Kawhi up top. Looks at the clock. Turns the corner for the win. Got it!